Hello, everybody, and welcome back to finally a Victory Green Hour here for the Kelly Green Hour podcast. I'm your host, LG Harrell, and joining me as always is Connor. Connor, finally, 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 we get a Victory Green Hour. Absolutely, man. It feels some good to be able to actually talk about a victory, although there are many criticisms that we can give because it was a pretty sloppy game by both teams. I'm going to take a victory wherever I can take a victory because that's sometimes the difference between a playoff team and not a playoff team and being the leaders of the NFC least (laughs) and not being the leaders of the NFC least. So for now, we are leading the pack and it feels some good because everyone was pegging the Cowboys to be 11 and 5 and 12 and 4. They're well behind the pace of that. I I think I called um, I think I called it about division a nine and seven, eight and eight team getting in. And it, it might be seven eight like one. it could be yeah it could be a seven eight one or an eight seven and one so we'll see yeah so before we get started um we want to again once again thank all our uh, listeners uh we've had a great couple of weeks um wherever you listen to to us whether it's Apple uh, Anchor it doesn't matter where you listen to us we appreciate it um you can follow us on Twitter at Kelly Green Hour I'm at LJ Harrell fifty four Connor's at Connor ten uh, wherever you listen to us, please rate and review us. Uh, we'll we take any and all criticism. We, we want to keep improving our show. Um, so thank you again for listening and keep listening throughout the season as we're going to continue to to uh, bring you our thoughts on the Philadelphia Eagles season here in 2020. Yeah, absolutely. We can't thank the listeners enough because this started out as a hobby for us. And the more listeners we get, the more fun it is for us. The more The more fun that we get to have, the more interaction that we get to have. So we have nothing but love for them and nothing but love for our new partners at Sports Talk Philly. Um, and you can see, uh, you can find our podcast on their website, sportstalkphilly.com. You can also find where I write my uh, post-game recaps on there as well uh, for the crew over there. So as always, much love there, Frank Close and uh, Paul Bowman, uh, who are the leaders over there. One of them who leads the Eagles section and the other who just leads the site all together. So much love and respect to them and make sure that you follow them as well. Yes, definitely. All right. So talking about the, and I, I wanted to bring something up when you were talking about the NFC East and how a lot of people had pegged Dallas to win the division. What is the one thing I said, like in our pre, our uh, preseason, when we did our preseason podcast, I said, and you were talking about Dallas's offense and that's possibly the reason why I said, Dallas can score all those points. That defense isn't stopping anybody. And what's happened so far? That defense isn't stopping anybody. Their safety, I think, this week, uh, Xavier Woods came out and said, "You can't play 100. You can't play fast 100 of the snaps for you know 70 snaps. Excuse me, 70 snaps a game." And you can tell that Dallas defense is quitting now. Their left tackle and right tackle are out for the year. Um, so who knows what's going to happen with that offensive line after Fredericks retired last year? So while Dallas may be able to put up all them points. I don't see that defense getting any better. Even if they sign Earl Thomas, I don't see that defense getting any better. Um, so the Eagles have a shot. While the Eagles have a tough part of their schedule coming up, and Dallas has the Giants this week, and I, you know, <laughs> if the Giants win that game, I can, I, I, I can't wait to see what how things are gonna go be going in Dallas. But the Eagles have the tough part of their schedule coming up. If they can win one of the next two before that Giants game, they are in great position. Because of the division they're in, yes, it's a terrible division. We can talk about it being a terrible division, but I don't really care. Because you win your division, you host a playoff game. That's all that matters until the NFL changes those rules. That's what matters. So I don't care if they go four and 
four eleven and one, and 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 they win the division. They win the division. They're NFC champs. They go to the playoffs. They have a shot at winning the Super Bowl. That's all that matters to me. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, uh, I, some people are some people will joke around on Twitter and stuff with me, and they'll be like, "Man, you guys are trash" or whatever. Yeah, but if we if we're in, we're in. You exactly. could be you could sit there and you could be one of those guys cheering for a team who's ending up going to end up nine and seven, ten and six that doesn't even get in, and we're going to end up sitting there at potentially seven, eight and one, like you were saying, and get in. And I mean, it, it's uh, it's I mean, it's a shitty division to watch. I don't I don't deny that. But um, I mean, at the end of the day, you win and you're in. Anything can happen once you're in the playoffs. We, exactly. we saw that before with Nick Foles and the mm-hmm. super the miraculous Super Bowl run we made. You get in, you can win anything from there. No matter what anybody says, the playoffs are a whole nother beast. Exactly. I mean, we, we saw the seven and nine Seahawks make the playoffs and then upset the, the Saints in the first round on Beastquake. And, you know, <clears throat> anything happened, again, once you get into the playoffs. Let's, now let's move to the Eagles-Niners. The Eagles won 25-20 to 20 to become the first place Philadelphia Eagles. And we all went into that. Well, a lot of people went into that game thinking that the Eagles were going to be embarrassed on national television. Um, it's a good thing that the Niners started. Yeah, but before ones. we continue, just saying, I think I had the closest prediction I'm ever going to have, and I don't think I'll ever get anywhere near it. I called 24-21, I think, for the uh, Eagles last week in a win. Um, so, yeah, I don't think you'll ever see something that amazing again by me. Just saying. <laughs> That's funny. So the one thing that at the beginning of the game, or the one thing I when I realized that maybe Doug in, is, is starting to get his mojo back, after they scored the touchdown, he went for two points. And that was the difference in the game. Because if you don't make that two-point conversion, you know, it's a field goal. It's a, it's a three-point game at the end. Maybe not even a three-point game because the Niners ended up going for two and not making it after one of the t- after one of their touchdowns. So if they don't make that two-point that two-point conversion, the Niners kick a field goal. Maybe at the end of the game, it's a it's a 23-21 game. And instead of having to throw that hail mary uh, pass into the end zone, maybe the Niners kick a field goal to win the game 24-23. So Doug's kind of Doug kind of got his mojo back. And you love to see that because the one thing we've talked about is Doug has been really hesitant and has not been aggressive this year. And that was an aggressive call early on in that game. Definitely. I mean, it definitely was a huge difference maker. I mean, at the end of the day, you probably would have seen the prevent defense come out if we had just went for one. And could they have gotten into field goal range? There's a good chance they were marching down the field there. Um, at the end of the game with a little bit of time that they had left and they were trying and they put that Hail Mary on and they they made us sweat, but they weren't able to do it in the end. But if it was a potential for a field goal, they might have not been as aggressive with the play calling and you never know what the outcome would have been. Maybe we'd have two ties for all we know at this point. Um, the way that game was going, you just never know. I mean, it's it's where where uh, uh, who would, it was. Uh, the pass right there, Alex Singleton. You never, you never know. Uh-huh. We're we uh, we're a completely bogus interception pass away from that game potentially not even being a win for us either. So yeah, that's I mean, a terrible pass by Mullins. I don't know what he was looking at. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't know either because I did see the person he was going for five yards. He was covered beyond then. that, and he was yeah, covered. Exactly. So we, I'd see where the guy was, but he threw like he was throwing a 10 yard pass and he needed to throw like he was throwing a 20 yard pass. Mm -hmm. So, but, uh, but we are like a few plays away from that game, either going to overtime or from that game going 
to be a lo- another loss for us and us not yeah, leaving well, the NFC least. Well, or Dallas is also that Atlanta Falcons being boneheaded about not picking up an onside kick away from me in 0-4. So, I mean, what, we, exactly. We, the, we spin, the spinning ball, like all you had to do was as soon as you saw it getting close, just pounce just jump, and yeah, they exactly. just watched it. So, yeah, so, yep. so we can we can argue both sides. I agree. Yeah, we definitely can. Um, it, it was a bit my, my it was it was a really Carson Wentz had his best game of the year. I think it's easy to say he kind of finally. And it's one thing that um, hopefully if we can get him on in, in a couple of minutes, our, our guest later on. The one thing me and him, uh, Shane, have talked about is Carson Wentz needing to get over a mental hurdle. And the last two weeks we've seen him running the ball. And last week against the Niners, he looked really good running the football, out getting outside of the pocket, making moves, going for in for the touchdown, um, like he did against the Bengals also to tie the game, and then also um, converting first downs with his legs. That's what the, the Eagles need to need from him, and I think that's what he needs to get back into to being Carson Wentz. If he can get back to being the Carson Wentz we saw in 2017, which I don't think we're going to see that good version of Wentz. It, that was a great version of Wentz. I don't know if we're ever going to see that again. But if we get something comparable to that, you know, he he was had what thirty three touchdowns and seven interceptions in eleven games, or excuse me, in thirteen games. If we can get something comparable to that, and I'm not saying his numbers are going to be like that all the time, then like we have a chance in this division, even with the subpar weapons that we have on the outside, with Alshon not being back yet, with Deshaun being out, with you know. Dallas Goddard being out for some reason it feels like Carson plays better when he has those practice quote-unquote practice squad guys on the outside Travis Fulgham tracked up when he when Carson threw that to him when I saw number 13 the first thing that I thought was oh no, Nelson Aguilar I forgot he wasn't here and Fulgham caught it was able to get into the end zone you like to see that you see he has a rapport with with Greg Ward um he he, he just really I, he I, don't, I can't explain it, but it seems he feels more comfortable with these underdog-type players. Yeah, no, definitely. I don't know what it is, be, but, I mean, we have seen him when he's got the right pieces in play, too, like an Alshon Jeffrey and a Deshaun Jackson. We've seen him and what he's capable of doing in those situations when he gets viable targets as well. But he seems to love to to take on the underdog mentality and to play with that underdog mentality. And it seems to be what gets his mind focused even though he hasn't looked all too much focused this season as he's only got four touchdowns and seven interceptions. Um, But I mean, with that in mind, I mean, you can make the excuse of who he's playing with, but he does what he can with what he's playing with. Same as Jim Schwartz on defense and all the injuries that are there. You play with what you got. It's next man up. And as we've seen in the last two weeks, Greg Ward and Travis Fulgham, they were the next men up for him at the wide receiver position. And this week, it could be the same thing. Who's the next man up? Could Hakeem Butler make his debut for the Philadelphia Eagles and be that next man up? It's tough to say at this point. I'd rather see him than J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. I'm, I'm, I'm done with Ortega-Whiteside. I, I know we, we always talk about how you, you had high hopes for him, and it, it just doesn't seem as if he's getting the opportunities. But he doesn't deserve the opportunities. No, he, and, and he, he they has showed that he can't play in the NFL. And they continue to, to feed us lies, which is one of the reasons I'm, I'm really disappointed with, with Doug Peterson. We constantly hear about J. John like, oh, he's going to play. Oh, he's going to be a part of it. Oh, there's an injury. Oh, there's this. Every day it's something new at a press conference with Doug Peterson. And at this point, just be open 
be honest and be candid with us. If it's a, if he's hurt, if he's going to be a long-term injury, there's no point in just sugarcoating it because none of us expect the guy to touch a football as an eagle again, probably. Most of us are sitting with that mentality. So why continue to try and feed us lies and say, oh, he's going to play. He's going to be an integral part of this offense. It doesn't matter anymore. There's no, there's no that, point in trying to salvage that draft pick. If it happens, it happens. But don't try and salvage it through coach speak. Yeah, and that pick has looked terrible, more and more terrible as the as the season as the season goes on. And you look at what DK Metcalf is doing; it just it just looks really really bad. Um, so the, and you talk about how they're playing with not as much depth. They're playing; they, they've lost. So on defense, TJ Edwards hurt his hamstring; he's he's out. So like that's where Alex Singleton had to come in. We're stuck with Nate Gary, unfortunately. I I. I, I they need to find a way to get him off the field. I don't. He he was covering. Uh, George Kittle had a great game against the Eagles. If it wasn't for George Kittle, the Eagles may have blown monster the Niners out. game, monster he, game. He he may have blown he may have blown the Niners out. Or the, excuse me, the Eagles may have blown the Niners out if George Kittle wasn't on there. But Nate Gary couldn't cover him. They they and and the one thing that bothers me about about the um, defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz is it didn't seem like they made any adjustments when it comes to um, to finding a way to stop George Kittle. And if they could have stopped George Kittle, like that game's not close and you don't have to worry about the, the prayer that, that uh, C.J. Beathard threw at the end that was almost caught. A good thing that Darius Slay was able to get his hand on it. Um, but, yeah, that was the only thing that bothered me. And the one thing about the, um, the Eagles' defense, and I saw this, that, and I was shocked because we all talk about Jim Schwartz and how he doesn't adjust to things. And Shane and I always talk about we just – it's so – we can't stand when he plays that st- sticks defense. And it seems like he makes no adjustments and he goes to prevent too early. But it, here's numbers. The Eagles are first in the league in, in sacks, which is a shocker. But then they had eight sacks against the uh, Bengals. Ninth in yards allowed. <clears throat> fifth in yards per play allowed. And fifth on third downs. Now, if, if, if I would have asked you guys to predict, you to predict that, Connor – would you have said that, that that's where the Eagles ranked in those in those um, different categories? Um, sadly, yeah, I probably would because I feel like I'm one of the few faithful Jim Schwartz people left for the Eagles. Every single week, I'm left defending him. At the end of last year, I had people telling me off for my takes on Jim Schwartz on Twitter like I was completely – out of my mind for defending the guy but yes he's yes he goes to the 60 too early he does those types of things that really make you go oh my god what are you doing Jim but at the end of the day he gets the job done with what he's working with and at right now everyone's all happy with him they're all like oh I was always a Jim Schwartz fan and at the end of this week those same people if they don't do well against Pittsburgh will be calling for his job again like they do week in and week well, out I've always been the guy to say this is a Jim Schwartz defense this is the this is what we're living in this is what we're stuck with he's gonna go to that prevent defense too early every single game no matter what people say and we're gonna get super frustrated about it but he year in and year out with Philadelphia has actually made us our stats on so, defense not so bad given the circumstances of who was our yeah, cornerbacks who continue to be our linebackers that's true. I, I agree with you and Jim Schwartz is doing just a good enough job to where a he won't get another head coaching job in the NFL but b he could be he could stay the Eagles defensive coordinator that's I think he be, I think are. he could stay defensive coordinator b1 anyways well, well that that Doug too but, but well exactly exactly all right, so uh, joining us now, the guy that brought 
Connor and I together pretty much a couple years back is Shane. Shane, what's up, buddy? Hey, man. How are you guys? Hey, we're doing good. We, uh, we, we're just touching on the uh, Eagles-Niners game. Um, kind of the one thing I had brought up in terms of Carson Wentz and something me and you always seem to talk about is Carson getting over that mental hurdle. And it seems like the last two weeks, him running outside the pocket, that touchdown he had last week, putting a nice move on the safety um, at the goal line. It feels like if he can continue that, the Eagles offense can maybe st- – the Eagles have one of the worst offenses in the NFL when you see what the what all the other the offenses are doing in terms of the points that they're putting up. But if he can start putting games together and and be, I don't want to call him a game manager, but that's kind of what he's playing like with like right now with the weapons he has on the outside. But if he can do that and just keep them in contest, there's no reason for them not to win the NFC East. Yeah, it's a look. A division is weak. I don't want to say as weak, as flawed as this one is. Um, <laughs> it, it truly is up to up to anybody. Um, with Carson Wentz, I do think it, it a big a big part is going to be the mental mental hurdle and the, how consistently he can continue to kind of distance himself mentally from you know the injuries that he's unfortunately suffered over the last three seasons now. Um, I, look, the, it's a it's a incredibly physical game, despite the NFL attempting to make it less so. Um, it is still an incredibly intense and physical game. And, you know, as someone who's gone through my, my share of injuries, mm-hmm. um, you know, the physical, getting your physical abilities back uh, is one thing, but, you know, distancing yourself uh, mentally and being able to trust your body to execute to the fullest ability, those physical traits uh, is a whole other thing. I think there was a Carson Palmer interview after Carson Wentz's ACL, you know, saying, you know, when Palmer tore his, it was about a year. Uh, you know, until he physically was right, and then probably another full year until he was, you know, mentally right. Um, and I think that's true. You know, and I think for Carson, two weeks ago, the you know him starting to run the football and especially scoring at the goal line, um, the way that he did diving in almost identical place of, of where that you know all happened, mm-hmm. I think it was huge. Um, and then to see that it appears out of necessity, uh, Doug has to kind of allow him to be mobile again. Um, he's slow as hell. This guy, Carson, is not the same guy. He is looking like he's running in quicksand, but he is moving, uh, mm-hmm. and that's important. So, um, you know, for, for me, I think so long as he is still willing to be able to do those things and extend plays in the pocket the way that he's able to, um, I think that you're going to start to kind of see that natural transition of the bigger-bodied quarterbacks, and it's been thrown out there ad nauseum, but the Ben Roethlisberger type. Roethlisberger, not that he ever had the quickness or, or overall, you know, electric elusive elusivity i think that's a word elusiveness elusiveness Elusiveness. yeah yeah (laughs) um yeah that carson had early on in his career but they were similar bodies and uh and similar skill sets yeah and Um, the one i think you're gonna see that transition now yeah and the one thing that i want carson to take from from say a bed is the the subtle moves in the pocket you know whether that's moving left moving right moving up moving like he he yes he holds on to the ball a lot are long and we all get frustrated with that but it's also he's trying to keep the play alive long which is a detriment to his game sometimes because he 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 has a lot of fumbles in his career it happens um and that's because he wants to keep the play alive till the very last possible second if he can learn look i could throw the ball away and live to play another down and give our offense a chance to put points on the board he's going to be fine it's just a matter of him actually meant again it's it's a mental thing it's him in his head, not. So 
if you remember game uh, 17 against the um, Reds, uh, Washington football team last year, and the play to Miles Sanders, he tur- he wanted to turn left, if you remember him going back, but he kind of like, it, it was like he forced himself to go right, and that's where he found Miles Sanders. It's all in his head, and if he can get, just keep telling himself, protect the football, get away from where all the other bodies are with the opposing um, color jersey when you can, he's going to be fine, and people will get off his back. And Shane, I know you're tired of seeing him in an Eagles uniform right now, playing quarterback. And we, yeah, you, you said it last time we watched the game together. You said you're tired of seeing him. Where uh, you're tired yeah. of seeing the quarterback in the Eagles. We we have a lot of fans like that 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 jump on the bandwagon, that jump off the bandwagon, that jump on the Wentz wagon, jump off. We have a lot of people that do it. But if he could play like he's played the last two weeks, people are going to be fine with him. And if you find if they start getting weapons back, if Deshaun can stay healthy, which that's what that trade's looking. Granted, they didn't give anything up, but bringing him back is looking worse and worse. Every, he played one game last year. He hasn't really played at all this year. And if Alshon comes back, if they don't trade him. You know, you get some NFL caliber wide receivers on here. Things can be different for this offense. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, especially uh, the whole Wentz thing and getting over that hurdle. He's looked like the Wentz of old. Granted, much slower, not as slow as Tom Brady or, or, or Ben Roethlisberger, someone along those lines. But um, he he's definitely he definitely is is getting over that hurdle that he had, and I think he's being forced to kind of do that himself. He's kind of being forced to just go move away from the move away from the Doug Peterson playbook and what Doug Peterson wants to do, um, because it, it feels like Doug Peterson gives him options and that he is forced to make a decision based on based on that, whether he wants to stay in so, the pocket like the Doug Peterson player, whether he wants to be mobile and move. So I, I'm glad you brought that up. A couple of weeks ago, Doug said, <clears throat> excuse me, he wanted to unclutter. Carson Wentz's head now and I and and to me that was take away Carson's ability to you know call checks at the line just I'm giving you a play run that play now I don't know if that's the best strategy because he still does his kill kill he I think they give him a couple plays and he can he'll give him a run he'll give him a pass and he can kind of decide based on what the defense is doing but do you think it's smart of of Doug to just take all that off of Carson's plate and be like, just do what I tell you to do, and I'm designing these plays for a reason, I'm calling these plays for a reason, and if you execute it, it'll be successful. I, I, don't, I don't think so. I, I kind of dis... Uh, I, like, I think that he's trying to simplify the game, and Carson Wentz is not a simple quarterback. That's not what he likes. He, he likes to dissect the game. He likes to see what's in front of him and dissect the play that's taking place and seeing the motions that are happening amongst the defense. And I think that's the big thing with Carson Wentz is he doesn't want that game simplified. He he seems to Peterson seems to think it's all in his head. Peterson seems to think that there's something going on there that that's taking his focus away from the game. And I disagree with that, with those sentiments by Doug Peterson. I think that Wentz likes to have options that Wentz, and that Wentz likes to make his own decision versus Peterson. And I know that some coaches don't like that. Because like a guy like Sean McVay likes to run rule the roost with his quarterback, which is fine because Jared Goff is that type of quarterback who plays better when he's ruled over 
or watched over very closely by his coach. But Carson Wentz is not like that. He likes the freedom to do what he wants to do or based on what he sees to do a play that makes sense to him. And it shows in these past couple of weeks and his ability to look around, look around, look around and then make something happen with his feet. And that seems to be the ultimate thing that's happening with him. And I think I I would disagree completely with Doug Peterson on that he has to declutter his head. I don't think it has anything to do with that. I think it has everything to do with not much of a preseason. All the people he, uh, same thing as last season. All the people that he worked with in the preseason are now hurt again. Or uh, uh, didn't he didn't get the opportunity to play with them as much, practice so, as much with them as they should have. So I get the whole not having preseason, but... Nobody else in the NFL are preseason, and a bunch of offenses are putting up record numbers. Even offenses that have new coaching staffs, like, and I hate to bring them up because I hate this team with a passion, Dallas. <laughs> like, yes, they're one in three, but their offense isn't the reason why they're one in three. It's that defense. So, like, I, I get what you're saying in terms of, you know, Carson, did, you know, in dad camp, dad practices, they worked out together, and, and yeah, Deshaun's out, um, Goddard's out, but still the and I, but i listen and i completely agree and and if if i had amari cooper cd lamb michael gallup <laughs> dalton schultz ezekiel elliott on the eagles and we were playing with those guys i can probably see us putting 30 to 40 points up a night too but instead we're stuck with miles sanders who struggled last week who struggled since his return in week two uh we got we got travis fulcom we got Zach Ertz, the guy who four four receptions for nine yards last week can't seem that to put a bad. can't even seem to put up half a yard of yards at half a well, yard after the catch. We got Greg Ward Jr. We got John Hightower. We got the disappearing active J Jaw. I would t- definitely agree that it, without a preseason, if we had the right weapons in place, like we show he showed a couple weeks back when Deshaun Jackson was out there. He went six six receptions, sixty-four yards essentially in one in the second half of a game. He showed what he can do with viable weapons. We just don't have them. Yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're saying too. Also, bringing up Miles Sanders, were you shocked that it was Corey Clement out on the field instead of Miles Sanders um, at the end of the game last week? I am. And look, maybe maybe he's hurt. Maybe maybe that's the reason why. But you can't use the I, I don't I'm, I worry about Miles fumbling. Miles Miles Sanders has I think three fumbles in two or three fumbles in 300 career touches, and Corey Clement has six fumbles in like 250 career touches. So that you if 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 he uses that stat like or if somebody uses that 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 makes no sense to me. So why I was concerned. I wanted to see Miles Sanders out there. He obviously has the the playmaking ability. I trust him to hold on to the football, and if he's able to hold on to the football, or if he and you get him the ball, I I I trust him to, to find a way to get five six yards at a clip than I do Corey Clement. Yeah, I mean that was definitely a concern and move because you're sitting there and you're in a close game and you don't want to put your RB one out. You've essentially moved to your RB three in that situation because Boston Scott Scott is arguably the RB two. Um, so you, you move all the way back to the RB3, but the only thing that you can assume is Miles Sanders is not 100%, and Doug Peterson didn't want to put any more miles on it in that game, in a close game, which is another, which is a cowardice move by him because it's like playing for the tie in Cincinnati. You're looking at a similar situation. You're taking your number one running back out and saying whatever happens, whatever the outcome is, it is what it is. 
when you pull Miles Sanders out. And if Miles Sanders is not 100%, which shows by the injury report and the fact that he's a limited participant literally almost every practice of the week, we we're looking at us we're looking at a situation that might be concerning with Miles Sanders. I mean, I wasn't concerned during the preseason because whatever you pull the plug after a week, don't worry about. It. You pull the plug after a couple days, and you say no, we're not going to risk it. He's our top running back. But then you come into the season, misses week one when we thought he was going to be there in week one, starts playing in week two. He's good to go. And he has a monster game. And then in weeks three and four, he's not looking like the Miles Sanders of old. And it's definitely very concerning because I don't think he's 100% at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one thing I want to bring up before we move on to um, to, the, to the this week's game against the Pittsburgh Steelers is Jordan Maialata looked really good at left tackle for his first start. He, I think he gave up maybe one pressure. but I, And I know Solomon Thomas and Nick Bosa weren't out there. And he's going to be facing a totally different test this week in Pittsburgh and, and TJ Watt and, and that and Cam Hayward and, and that front. But for his first start for not, you know, having played football up, up until three years ago, I mean, I was really, you know, satisfied with the way he played. And I, and I think that you start seeing these young guys, we talked about how last year the Eagles were the third oldest team in the NFL, not, you know, with an average age around 29, 30. And this year they're down to around 26 if you can start playing these young guys, Jordan Maialata, um, if we can get TJ Edwards and maybe get Davion Taylor out there. Kavon Wallace started at safety last week. Um, if we can start seeing some of these young guys contribute to a winning football team, this is going to be great for their, you know, ability going forward and into, into, you know, years down the road that they've get, they're getting this playing time right now. Shane, sorry. Oh, yeah. Sorry, man. Um, for me, man, my lotto was the, was the player of the game. I know that's not the sexiest of answers. I, agree. I just think, yeah, for, for long-term, what, what that could potentially mean for this team is huge. Um, you know, I, they tried everything to not put him in an NFL mm-hmm. football game. They went up and down their entire roster of offensive linemen and said, I will try literally anyone out. Dan, I'm surprised they didn't put Kelsey on the outside and said, <laughs> screw it. Let's see what happens. Um, they tried everything. And for me, this is a guy that they use a, a seventh round pick on, never played mm-hmm. football before. But the interesting thing about Maialata is, is the fact that his size, his athleticism is, is so freakish for what he is able to do that it can make up for learning the position and learning the game. And he's so powerful. Exactly. He's so strong. Um, you know, so to sit there and, and see a guy who has the physical skill sets of, of someone like him. I believe that playing the game at the highest level right now on the biggest of stages is the way that we're going to see it. Like, I don't think that you're going to unlock anything in him in practice anymore. This is year three of my lot. Yep. Um, there's nothing else he's going to accomplish playing against, you know, other Philadelphia Eagles, putting him out there on Sunday night football against shore a beat up San Francisco line. Um, you know, this is the way that, that you're going to see what you have. And if you missed on Dillard, which at this point, by all <laughs> accounts, it looks as though you did. To know that the that you do not have to potentially now this is after one start against backup linemen, but to know that you may not have to invest in a round one or two option at, at, at uh, to protect Carson's blindside, that's huge. So for me, player of the game hands down, the non sexiest of ways, but Jordan Mailata for coming in there and doing what he did. Yeah, and and if you think about it, there was a point in time where it was Mailata and Jack Driscoll out there at the tackles, and Carson right? didn't get touched. And like, no. 
this is this is a good thing. If you if you talk about we talk about how this team has been really bad at drafting drafting players. Everything. If you can hit on Jordan Maialata, obviously it's the first one, but we got to see going forward. Like you won't have to worry about paying Jason Peters next year, and you can probably get rid of him this year if he ever comes back. Jack Driscoll is a good you know depth piece. Um, we, we Isaac Samalu, I know he's hurt, but you kind of see like he was actually a good pick for them because he he was really good at that left guard position. Um, yeah. And if he can pick up the center position, this could be Kel- potentially Kelsey's last year. If you move him over, we have all these you know these young guys, Kevon Wallace, which was a pick that we really love. I know Connor and I were high on that pick. Thought that that was the steal of the draft. He finally got a chance. He was around the football. That's what he is. He he also can blitz. So like when you have I know on one of the plays last week, um, Craven LeBlanc got a got a sack, fumble on a blitz. Like that, they're the type of players you want. Aggressive players on the defensive side of the ball. That Jim Schwartz doesn't have to sit in a base defense. He can do a bunch of different things with them once he becomes comfortable with them. And I think we might start seeing that because you get to see these young guys go and just go on the field, use their athletic ability, and play the game the way they know how to play it. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you guys with how good Jordan Mailata played. I mean, at the start, there was some cringeworthy plays, but he settled in quite well. But that, like you said, Shane, that's what you got to do. You got to put him in and you got to coach those things out of him. You can't, you can only coach things out of a guy or teach a guy new, a new guy, a guy new tricks so much in practice you have to put him out there and say all right now you gotta see the real action you come off to the sideline look we liked what you did here but let's look at let's look at the pad let's see what you could have done better look at this situation you don't get that opportunity to do that in practice um so i mean he was not my player of the game but my player of the game was equally unsexy in Jannard avery because he had five qb hits and he was all over that backfield and I know that their offensive line is not looking any better than our offensive line. But to see Jannard Avery, who we gave up a fourth-round pick for, start to actually do something was pretty nice to see. That's for sure. Yeah, it was about time that Jannard Avery finally made a um, an impact on a game. Also, Derek, Derek Barnett made an impact last week, too. which But he's going to need to in order to, to – so we, in order for the, the Eagles – picking up his option in order for that to mean something um, because you know th- there's big money on that defensive line but the ends are, are sluggish and, and, and struggling t- to an extent um, but if, if Derek Barnett and Jannard Avery can pick it up I think that you know the defensive front is going to be able to get pressure and help out the secondary and hopefully help out the linebackers what do you think Connor? Yeah, I, I completely agree with you on that. I mean, the only way that you were going to mask the issue with the, the linebacker position is to continue to get pressure and to continue to make it so that you can't just dump the ball off. You got to get in their face and you got to hope that you force the throw away or you got to get in their face and, and hope that he just makes a mistake. And that's kind of what happened with the Alex Singleton pick last week, kind of what happened with the Rodney McLeod pick last week where we finally got off the schneid for, for interceptions in, in a good way. Um, so, yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that statement. The only way we're going to match, just like the only way we were going to mask how crappy our cornerbacks were last year was to have that defensive line have pressure yeah. 99% of the time in that backfield, be in that quarterback's face saying, hey, how you doing? Yeah. And that's what we saw last week. They did that. Unfortunately, George Kittle's an absolute monster. Had it have been any other tight end besides George Kittle or Travis Kelsey, I don't think that I think the linebackers' issues would have been masked very well. Um, but Jarek McKinnon and George Kittle's lines 
stat lines speak to the that the linebackers are going to be the Achilles heel of that defense for the rest of the year. And we need to figure out how to help them out, whether that's safety support because we trust the cornerbacks yeah. or whether that's just an actual NFL linebacker. Well, let, let's get past let's get past that, because first of all, it's it, there's some things that are true in life, death, taxes, and that we're not going to take a linebacker <laughs> in the first round of a draft, as long as Jim Schwartz true. is our defensive coordinator. No, as so long let's as, get as past as, that um, point. As long as Howie Roseman is running the draft. Exactly. So, I mean, yeah, I agree with you. You need guys like Gennard Avery to step up. You need whether or not you pick up, whether or not the options there, whether you want to let go of Derek Barnett because he's a $10 million casualty next year. So whether you want to keep him or whether you don't want to keep him, that's a lot of saved dollars if you get rid of him. But they need to prove it this year. This is it. You have to prove it. And you got to really support those linebackers by creating the pressure and giving them the time to see the plays happen. Because Nate Geary and stuff, they need to literally see the play happen and stand beside the guy to make Pretty the much. tackle happen or to make the play happen. Because if yeah. they get even a yard of space, well, we've seen Nate Gary miss tackles galore. So um, I agree. I agree. Right. And at this point, why not see Davion Taylor? We just lost our best linebacker in TJ Edwards for at least three weeks. Why not put out Davion Taylor? Why not put out some of these guys and give them an opportunity? Because what you're doing with Nate Gary is just criminal. It's, it's it is it is it really is because and you're he just a hundred percent of the snaps it's just, every week it's a hundred percent of the snaps and every week he makes uh like 50 percent of the mistakes for the defense yeah so <laughs> we have to get past that yeah so i think so finally again the eagles got the, their first win 25 20 over the niners let's move to the pittsburgh steelers this week's opponent where the eagles for the first time this year will be playing in front of fans 5500 at heinz field hopefully that means Against the Ravens, even against the Giants, there could be uh, fans at Lincoln Financial Field. I'm not sure that 5,500 will make a difference, but still, it's better than nothing um, at, at the link. Um, this is going to be a test for, for the Eagles, a bigger test than the Niners, Ben Roethlisberger, Juju, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, James Conner, that offensive line, um, and then on defense, T.J. Watt's healthy. He's back. They have Minka Fitzpatrick, Joe Hayden. Um, they have a really – Really, they have Devin Bush. They have a really, really good um, team. They're uh, and they're coming off of a, a bye because of the COVID situation with the with the Titans. Is is are the are the Steelers really that good, or is it their schedule? They've played the Giants. You know, they haven't really played um, anybody good. Is that a testament to their schedule, or is this just a really good football team? And we'll start with you, Shane. Um, I, I don't think they're bad football team by any stretch i think yeah. that they're doing what they're supposed to do against the the opponents that they've had and look there's nothing you can do about what's going on with with covert in this world and, and how the the nfl is on a week-to-week you know kind of adapt plan um you know they've just they've had some really good fortune in terms of scheduling that way um you know and then with with the kind of clients um or clients excuse me the kind of games that they have um you know it's they're they're a they're a good football team, but I don't think they're as good as their record shows. Like they're not Super Bowl contender worthy. So uh, Connor, the um, playing in front of fans. I know that as as an NFL team and as an NFL player, you're used to doing that on a on a weekly basis, playing in front of seventy thousand. Obviously, with this year being different, how is that going to be? Could that affect the Eagles' game plan going into this week? Because you're actually going to have 
people there yelling at you, screaming at you, even cheering for you because we know that Eagles fans like to travel and they'll find way find ways to get uh, tickets to this game. I mean, yeah, I think it does play uh, a bit of a, a huge factor. I mean, we haven't had the opportunity to play in front of fans yet in in uh, in games, and and like a lot of people are being interviewed, and they're like, you get ready to play without fans, and it's weird, and then you get ready to play with fans again, and it's equally as weird because now there's fans in the stands, but you see all these empty seats and stuff. It's a complete mind mind mess up. It just mangles your mind to know to 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 change the mentality in each direction. Um, and just to touch on the other point that you, you guys are making, I do believe that the Steelers are for real. I, I do think Ben Roethlisberger is a massive difference maker for that team. And that defense is no pushover. So I, I do think that the schedule has played out pretty easily for them um, and has played into their favor. But I do believe that they are uh, they are they are a team to watch. Yeah. And um, TJ Watt coming back are healthy this week. I think he is the second most pressures in the NFL. Um, so it, it's going to be a test for even Lane Johnson and definitely for Jordan Maialata, um, to, to be able to keep TJ Watt, who, when he gets around the quarterback, he goes for the ball. That's what, that's what the Watts do. Um, and, and, and car, and we've talked, I mentioned earlier, Carson's, um, his struggles with holding onto the football in the pocket and fumbling. So it's going to oh. definitely be important. This is a game where Carson needs to get rid of the ball quick. And we always talk about that. And I mentioned earlier how he likes to extend plays to try to try to get the biggest play, but you can't do that. Take what the defense gives you, dump it off to Miles Sanders, dump it off to, to Richard Rogers, who actually had a good game last week too, playing the uh, second tight end role. Um, get, get it to, to Greg Ward, but it's definitely going to be a tougher test this week. Cause this, this um, Pittsburgh Steelers team, as you mentioned, Connor, you, you know, they're, they're fighting with the Ravens. Um, now the Cleveland Browns in that division. And this isn't the same Pittsburgh team last week that had Duck Hodges out there and Mason Rudolph. No, Ben Roethlisberger is a Hall of Fame quarterback and is a lot better than what they had out there. And Mike Tomlin is one hell of a football coach. I know a lot of people think he's mm-hmm. arrogant and whatnot, but I, I am a huge Mike Tomlin fan. Um, and I think that he's going to have – he'll obviously have his team ready, and this is going to be a battle. If it was in Philly, Pittsburgh's never won a game in Philadelphia. It would, I think it would be – just like when they played four years ago and Eagles won 34 to three um, in Carson's rookie year. Like, you know, that, that's the type of game maybe it could be, but in Pittsburgh, the Eagles lost there the year they went to the Super Bowl in 2004. Um, and remember T.O. blowing up at Donovan. Um, so, you know, we're going to, you're going to see the best out of the Steelers and they're pissed because they didn't get to play last week and their schedule gets all moved around. They don't get the buy. They're going to be playing what 13 consecutive weeks now. Um, so they're definitely going to, uh, want to come out and prove that that you know they're not undefeated because of their schedule but it's because they're legit and I love your point on Mike Tomlin I actually love that Mike Tomlin is the way that he is and that he's not afraid to to make the statements that he makes and to just be aggressive in press conferences because it's way better than Peterson's passive approach in press conferences and his inability to tell the truth anymore and stuff that I'll take Mike Tomlin and his open and honest and and arrogant approach any day over what I'm seeing from Peterson this year. Oh yeah, I definitely agree. Now, Shane, uh, me and Connor were talking about um, the fans in the stands and how big of a difference could that, that could make. Being that we're what like a half an hour away from from Lincoln Financial Field, if Philadelphia says Eagles, you can have 7,500 fans at the game against um, the Dallas Cowboys that Sunday night. Um, the, the Sunday night football game in a couple of weeks and you had the opportunity to go, would you go? 
with the COVID concerns and all that? Yeah. Um, I look, I, I'm, I'm someone that I take every necessary precaution mm-hmm. uh, at this point, you know, as, as I think we all should, but, um, but being outside, um, you know, that, that stadium seats were 86,000, I think. 75, 76, 76, yeah. Okay. Um, you know, t- 10% capacity. I mean, you're outdoors. Um, you know, I would say that I, I don't know that I would go to the first game. I would want to see, you know, how, I mean, look, you and I all have worked in, in industries where we know we, we, we don't take people's lives into consideration. I want to make sure that the Eagles do. Um, you know, I, I want to make sure that they're not sitting on seats that 3,000 asses have sat yesterday on and no one's cleaned it. Um, you know, so I, I think early on, I would like to see what precautions, you know, the, the stadium staff took. But, um, but being that it would be outside and 10% capacity, like I'd, I'd feel pretty good about it. Um, I would be that jerk with a mask, you know, where everyone else would be like, why are you doing that? I'm like, well, because I don't want to die. And I don't want to kill anybody else. Um, but I, I feel pretty good about, about being there and, and watching them whoop up on, on Dallas. Sure. And uh, that, that point that you brought up, being the quote-unquote jerk with a mask, my thing is if the worst thing that I, I have to do to myself is have a piece of cloth over my face, but it has the potential, right? it has the potential to save somebody I care about, I don't care if I look like a jerk. Just, right? How hard is it to put a mask over your face? And just walk like seriously. I don't have to shave as tight. It's it's lovely. I well, mean, I mean it's I, a lazy person. Having, having a mask on over a beard, it stinks. I, I like to shave. I like the clean face. That's just me. <laughs> no, but yeah, I mean, I'm with you. Like, look, just wear a mask. It's not that hard. It's really yeah. not and you that get to, hard. If the difference is wear a mask and you get to watch, you know, Eagles football live in the link with, you know, 7,499 other people, put a goddamn mask on. Go out there. Enjoy yourself. Like, it's yep. just, it, it ain't that hard. Yep. And Connor, I didn't ask you because I know being that you're from Canada, you would, you know, I think, I think maybe it's different now that you have a baby, but I think that in a heartbeat, if you had the opportunity to go see an Eagles game, you would do it mainly because you've never, you haven't seen one, right? Oh, absolutely. I'd be going. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm considered an essential worker and I go out every single day. Yes, I have a newborn baby at home, but I still go out every single day and I sell Coca-Cola products. I go face to face with customers. We wear masks. We do what we got to do to have those safety protocols. But they also just mandated masks at all indoor spaces in my province. So we have no choice but to wear, to wear masks you have actual, now. Because you have actual leadership running your, uh, your, where you live. Oh, oh my 100%. But like we still have those same people like I was in a store yesterday because yesterday was the first day of the mandate and they said they were telling customers as they came in, oh, you know, masks are mandatory. And one guy went on a tangent to me and the store manager about how it's the the government mind control and all this stuff. And I was like, I was like, buddy, if the government wanted to control you, do you think that a mask is what they're going to do? Do you think that Donald Trump or P, or um, Justin Trudeau are sitting there and they're saying, oh, yeah, we got him in our grasp now. They're wearing masks covering half their face. No, no, this is this is no different than the law of seatbelts. This is no different than laws that are out there in front of you every single day that you have to follow. I don't see you saying, oh, it's mind control. I'm not wearing the seatbelt anymore. I'm whipping it off. No, you wear that seatbelt. This is the same thing. It's a safety measure. It is a it is honestly a human rights measure. Every human's right to safety and to feel safe 
in the world that they're living in. And if it, that's the way that the government feels that we're going to be safe, that's just the way it is. And I'm sorry, I, I went on a bit of a tangent. No, it's there, fine. No, because this like, whole mind control thing or or control of people is just getting out of hand. Yeah, I don't, I don't get in my car and be like, I'm only putting my seatbelt on because I'm going to go and get into an accident. No, I put it on because there's a potential that somebody else isn't driving as safe as I am and, and I can get into an accident. And if the seatbelt's going to save my life, so be it. I'm, I mean, if, I, if I don't wear it and I get into an accident, I go through the, the, the windshield glass, then I don't survive. Like, that's my fault because I didn't wear it. So, like, I'm, you're being smart. You're right. And it's those people, like the, the, the person that you came in contact with the other day, that's like, they're the people that are so frustrating and so annoying and think that, like, they don't, the rules don't apply to them. Just, just wear a damn mask. It's not that hard. I completely agree. I can completely agree with that. But let's get back to Eagles football yeah, so on a lighter football. note. I know. I don't want to keep talking we, politics. Yeah, right. So we, we, we talk about this, this offense for the Steelers is definitely going to pose, pose a challenge. The one thing about the Eagles defense, um, Darius Slay has been, you know, what, what he was advertised. He's only given up 30 yards a game to these number one receivers that, that he's been facing. He has been really – good on you know for the eagles finally they have a legit number one corner the first since asante samuel and him against juju smith schuster is going to be a great battle to watch on sunday yeah no definitely i mean it goes without saying darius they came 100 percent as advertising was 100 percent what the what this secondary needed um and this i would argue that this may be the truest test for the cornerback so far i mean mm-hmm. They did a pretty good job for against the LA Rams, but like you got the mismatch king in Chase Claypool, you got the slot beast in Deont- mm-hmm. Deontay Johnson, you got that outside burner in James Washington, and then of course you got Juju Smith-Schuster, who's leading the uh, Steelers uh, from a receiving perspective with 180 yards and three touchdowns. So. I mean, when you look at when you look at that situation, it is going to be a true test because we've seen the troubles of Nickel Roby Coleman. This was one of my key matchups is the cornerbacks, the secondary versus these wide receivers, because Nickel Roby Coleman has struggled. So do you put a crave on LeBlanc? Do you give him the chance and say or give Nickel Roby Coleman a really short leash? Like, I'm not worried about Darius Slay. I'm worried about the other cornerbacks and what we're going to do across to match up against Chase Claypool because you can't put a linebacker on him. No, no. It's pretty tough to put a safety. You can put safety coverage help over top, but it's going to be very interesting to see what they can do one-on-one. Darius says he's going to help in shutting down one side of the field, but what are we going to do on the other side of the field and in the slot? Yeah, and I think um, Cravon LeBlanc should be starting in the slot. He's looked better than um, Mikel Roby Coleman has looked. Also, and, 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 you know, again, Cravon Wallace got the start last week. I and, and they moved Jalen Mills to corner. And what did I remember last week? I mentioned that, that the Eagles with, with the injuries to Avante Maddox, the possibility of moving Jalen Mills to corner and letting Kevon Wallace or Marcus Epps start at, at safety. And that's what they did. And Jalen Mills actually didn't look bad at corner. Like I, maybe he isn't a safety. Maybe they moved the wrong guy to safety. They should have moved Rashul Douglas to safety. I'm not going to get into that because he's looking good in Carolina as a corner. Good. I get it. But, um, you know, leave Mills at, at corner, um, and and you you put help if he's covering Chase Claypool. Maybe you do put help over there because Claypool is bigger, faster than Mills. But if that the Eagles front four can get to the quarterback, that can negate any of the different route combinations and different routes that the um, Steelers could run 
that could affect um, or that could, you know, get them down the field against the Eagles uh, defense. I think it's important to denote that this is a game where, where if you are on Chase Claypool, this is where you have to play up. And I actually would trust Jalen Mills the most of anyone because he can be super aggressive within those mm-hmm. first five yards. So I think it's important for for uh, Jim Schwartz to realize that and to let him play up and be aggressive because that extra couple seconds of hand fight and maybe all you need to get that pressure from that offense, that defensive line and make it so Chase Claypool is almost a null factor. But you need to play up because Chase Claypool will definitely take advantage with his speed if he's given those five to eight yards that they usually give. But if there's someone I trust the most to go one-on-one with Chase Claypool, it's Jalen Mills, but it's in the situation that you have to allow him to play up to be aggressive and to be what we what I always wanted to see from Rasul Douglas and what Carolina's letting Rasul Douglas do. Play up, play his game, do what he's best at, and the freedom to do what's best. You see Darius Slays playing up on him. He's got the freedom. Why not give other cornerbacks the freedom to play the style of play that they believe that they can do best at? And if they miss on a couple plays, then you say, all right, Jalen, it's time. You're playing five day yards off. I watched you get burned. You couldn't do the hand fight. You couldn't, you couldn't do much within those first couple yards like you thought you could. But that's just about communicating. Jim Schwartz has to communicate and make sure that he's doing what's best with his cornerbacks because we're seeing what's best for his cornerbacks when they leave is not what he was doing here in Philadelphia. Yeah. And another matchup that I'm, I'm really interested in seeing is going to be Eric Ebron, um, Benny Snell, James Conner against our linebackers, because we always talk about it week in and week out is the ineptitude of our linebackers and they are not good. They're really not good. So, um, and with your, and you mentioned it, our best linebackers out, and with him being out and Alex Singleton get, um, getting on the field, Nate Gary always being on the field, um, Duke Riley, who I think is primarily a special teams guy, but he's he's starting. They're going to have to find a way to not get caught in, in no man's land and stick. Again, George Kittle was wide open all last week. It just they, they couldn't stop him. Now, Eric Ebron's not George Kittle, but he still has the ability to make plays over the middle of the field. Yeah, that was another matchup that I was looking out for was the James Conner and Eric Ebron up against the linebackers because, like I said earlier, they, they're clearly becoming our Achilles heel where the cornerbacks were mainly the Achilles heel last year. Um, it's it's a position that you know you can't lean on. It's a position you know you can't trust right now, and, and they got to figure something out there to alleviate the pressure that's on them. But, I mean, Eric Ebron hasn't been the Eric Ebron of the Indianapolis Colts that one season. Um, but Eric Ebron, you know he has the potential to do that. And if there's a team to to see Eric Ebron do that breakout against or get that confidence back against, it would be against Philadelphia Eagles and those linebackers. Because I get George Kittle's George Kittle, but to go off for what was it, 13 receptions for 183 yards, like that's that's a whole nother level. Like George Kittle's done that once in a while, but he's not normally. That's not a usual game from a tight end, even George Kittle or Travis Kelsey. Um, so, I mean, if there's a game where Gibran can do that, it is definitely this one. It's definitely uh, one matchup that I'm going to be watching very closely because I'm a little worried. And the James Conner one, I'm not so worried about the linebackers. I'm more worried about the run defense. We've done mm-hmm. really good in getting pressure for on the defensive line, but whenever we're not like we were last year when getting up there and blowing up run plays. We go in with the intent of hitting the quarterback, and it feels like we forget that there's the running back back there. Our run defense has been a shell 
a shell of what we were last year, but it's not that we're not getting back there. It's not that we're getting the pressure, not getting the pressure. It's that it seems to forgetting that there's a lot of uh, running back back there, another position to account for when you're back there, not just Ben Roethlisberger, not just whoever's at the quarterback position. So I do believe that, I mean, I, I said it to someone who was asking for fantasy advice because they put James Conner in. I was like, if, if our defense recognizes the run plays and sees the run plays and doesn't just go to blow up the quarterback, we become that run defense that we were last year, which was a top five run defense, if not one, if not number one. So we just need to get back to that game that we were doing last year because the pressure is there, getting past the offensive line is there, but forgetting that there's a running back there seems to be an issue. Yeah, and uh, this is where we need our high-priced defensive uh, tackles to, to make a difference. Uh, Fletcher Cox, Malik Jackson, Javon Hargrave going back to his uh, play, his former team, they all have to step up and they can help out the linebackers if they can um, collapse the middle of the pocket or collapse that the middle of the line and not allow, <clears throat> excuse me, not allow Connor or Benny Snell uh, to get to the second level. Definitely. I completely agree. And I mean, you, we realize how effective they can be when they need to be effective. So they, we definitely need to watch those and not allow them to be effective because just like Kittle last week and Jarek McKinnon last week, when we allow that open field to be their best friend, they take full advantage. Definitely. All right. So before we get to our game picks and our, um, our keys and, and, and Matt, we kind of talked about the matchups, but kind of what we're, we're looking for to this week's game against the Steelers, our unheralded player of the week in the NFL. Now, what do we mean by unheralded? We don't want the sexy Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, um, those that we want somebody who goes under the radar, who had a good game, who um, stepped up big and helped their team um, come uh, come up with a victory. So who you got for your unheralded player of the week in the National Football League, Connor? My unheralded player of the week is a next man up situation. It's Tim Patrick, wide receiver out of uh, Denver. The Broncos are banged up, and catching passes from Brett Ripien and Jeff Driscoll must be one daunting task. Um, so, I mean, we saw Jeff Driscoll when he can just throw bombs and he can throw the ball away, whatever it is what it is. Last year in Detroit, he was making plays. This year, looking far different when he doesn't have, you know, Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, and, and TJ Hawkinson. But uh, with, with Sutton out for the season, Fant week to week, Philip Lindsay having major issues with injuries. Um, for me, it's got to be Tim Patrick because he's got to step up and he's got to prove it. Yeah, you got Jerry Judy there, but you can't just be Jerry Judy and Melvin Gordon. You got to have yeah. that second option, and he had a great game. I think he went off eight, nine, ten receptions for 114 yards, and I think he had a touchdown or two even. So that's a, that's a good emergence for Tim Patrick. Tim Patrick, good one. Shane, you're unheralded player of the week in the NFL. <laughs> First of all, Kelly Greenhour listeners, sorry, I'm cutting in and out. I'm taking this at work, and this is the <laughs> first time ever there have been people in my offices on the Saturday. I told you. Um, holy crap, this has been a nightmare. Um, but uh, my unheralded player of the week, uh, I'm going to kind of go with a cliche one, and one that I believe will never repeat itself, because I think he's terrible. But I do have to give him props for the for the current week, and that's Herbert. Um, I think anytime a 20, 21 year old rookie quarterback can come into the league, start sooner than expected to start because your medical staff stabbed to Rod Taylor uh, and just deflated his body. Um, you know, he's kind of been thrust into the into the starting lineup a little earlier than expected. And anytime a 20, 21 year old kid can go up against arguably the greatest quarterback to have ever played this sport, 
uh, and go toe to toe with them and even have a lead multiple times in that fourth quarter. Um, it's just, you have to be impressed by that. Um, you know, to, to me, I mean, uh, high completion percentage. So he was getting the ball out pretty quick that day through for nearly 300 yards, a three to one touchdown ratio. Um, anytime you, a kid like that, you know, keeps up with a, with a 43 year old guy who can't shake the hand of anyone in his life. Um, <laughs> That's named Nick Foles. He shakes in, everybody else's hands. He won't well, shake Well, I mean, Nick Foles is the only one who beats him because let's face it, Nick, Nick Foles is the greatest Manning, long reliever in the history of the sport. Yeah, I, I, I still can't believe that he – oh, my God. He's such a baby. Tom Brady is he such is, a baby. He is, dude. And, like, man, it's did, not, did Nick Foles not look like he was just looking for his father out there for approval? He was just <laughs> he was sitting not. around looking like, please, Dad, shake my hand. <laughs> like, aren't you proud of me? I beat you twice. <laughs> It's just yeah, so that, sad. I was heartbroken. It was so for crazy. Him. All right, so my uh, <laughs> my unheralded player is Robert Tanyan from the uh, Green Bay Packers. So Aaron yeah. Rodgers, in his career, has thrown one touchdown pass to a first round draft pick, which is a mind boggling. Sick is that? Way. And it was to Mercedes Lewis, I think. But um, that, like, wasn't even their first round draft pick. I know he was Jacksonville's. It's right? such a mind boggling stat. But Robert Tanyan had six catches, ninety eight yards, and three touchdown uh, against the Falcons. Um, and I. Bet you nobody knew who the hell he was because I sure was helping. And, um, <laughs> but like, if if you if you go out, if Aaron, if the Packers would have drafted somebody instead of Jordan Love in the first round, how much better would this guy be? And it may seem like cockiness, but the fact he was on um, a podcast or a show this week with um, Pat McAfee, and he's like, if my my he, he said something to it wasn't like verbatim, but he's like my my down years are are people's career years. And I love that cockiness out of him. I think it's, and I know you like him because he he was with Olivia Munn, Shane. So like, yeah, <laughs> what's so, not to love? Yeah, but but Robert Tonyan had a great game, and obviously, I, I this is probably it's not going to happen every week. Um, but Aaron Rodgers distributes the ball like no other, and he's also my fantasy quarterback. So I'm glad that he is killing it right now. So uh, Robert Tonyan, so we have Robert Tonyan, Justin Herbert, who Justin Herbert was actually going to be my pick. Was it two weeks ago? When he made his first pit, first start against the the Chiefs, I ended up going someone else. But Justin Herbert has looked good and is now the full time starter in uh, Los Angeles with or the Chargers. Terod Taylor. I know. I, I feel. Guy. I do feel bad for Terod Taylor. And Everywhere he's gone. Connor, you went with Tim Patrick. So there are unheralded players of the week for week four. Yeah, week four in the National Football League. Now we move on to predictions. The Philadelphia Eagles. In Pittsburgh, playing in front of fans for the first time. Shane, we'll start with you. Give us uh, maybe a couple keys to the game and your score prediction. All right. Um, keys to the game are, I mean, I feel like this is going to be a broken record and it's going to be this way for forever. I'm going to start my, my major key to the game is going to be the turnover battle. It's a, mm-hmm. it's something Jim Schwartz defenses just don't typically execute on. Um, and we saw the importance of it last week and we've seen the importance on the negative aspect of it in the weeks prior. Uh, if Carson's going to struggle uh, as he did and, and give the defense short fields, um, it's just, it's asking a lot for a defense that by on all accounts is performing at least admirably given the short field. Um, but if we can protect the football uh, on our side on offense uh, and the defense can, you know, kind of build on what they were able to do last week. Um, I think that's the, the biggest thing, um, you know, is give Carson a short field and prevent the short fields, um, you know, for, for any opponent going forward, but in this case, the Pittsburgh Steelers. 
Um, from Doug and, and the offense, man, I, I think there are, are a couple huge things to do. One, Doug apparently can only coach when his back is against the wall. Mm-hmm. It's the only time he finds creativity. It's the only time he adjusts and adapts to, to the things that he, he ordinarily and instinctively wants to do. Um, so I want to see him, you know, continue to bring out some creativity, even if it's just a couple times a game, continue to roll out Carson and get him on the move. Um, okay. If Carson's going to run more, I'm cool with it. I, I trust him at this point. He looks like he's taking care of his body and eliminating some of those hits when he does. Um, I want them to find a way to utilize Boston Scott because uh, we don't have a gadget guy. And it's clear that he's not going to give Miles Sanders the amount of touches that he deserves. Um, but right now, Boston Scott looks like a guy who's still running. Like he might get sent back to the practice squad tomorrow. But whereas last year he executed this year, he, he looks like he's just falling behind walls. Um, and a lot of that is due to the creativity or lack thereof from the play calling. Um, so those are big things there. Um, you know, and, and then I think uh, more so than anything is, is there a way we can leave Nathan Gary in Philadelphia? I think um, that's the, 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 the number one thing that would help this team win is to have him not on the football field. Can we send him back to Nebraska? That's where he went to college, right? Nebraska, Wisconsin, wherever he went. Sure. One of those big 10 schools. Wherever he wants to go. He went to the, yeah, I'm pretty sure he was a safe, safety in Nebraska, but, um, but yeah, uh, I, I don't, I don't think the Eagles win this football game, um, but I do think that we see some more encouraging things from the offense. Um, you know, so I'm going to say, uh, you know, 27, I had 27, um, 27, 20 written down earlier, but I'm going to give the Eagles a, another four points here. I think the offense is going to come. Give it, give it a little bit more. So I'm going to change my original prediction of 27-20 and go 27-24. With your point to creativity, I'm expecting a Jalen Hurts pass this week. I know they. I don't want to see him on the field if he's not throwing the football. Who do you want to see on the field? You don't even want to no. see Carson Wentz on the field. No, 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 no. That's what I'm saying. I don't oh, okay. unless he's throwing the football. Stop. Like the, he I hate the Wildcat. I've well, always not. hated the Wildcat. It's a horrible thing. The whole point in having a Wildcat is having someone who who can still pose a threat as a, as a passer, like if a quarterback's going to, a backup quarterback, gadget quarterback, there has to be the threat of passing. And I know they were going to throw the ball to Carson once, but that's moronic. <laughs> don't, don't kill Carson. Jesus, just let him play quarterback and, and let him do his thing. But yeah, I, I do want to come on the field, throw the damn football. I, I agree with you. I want to see him throw the ball. And I think it's going to be coming within the next two weeks because of the opponents and the Steelers and the Ravens. Connor, your prediction? Um, for me, I'll drop another couple more keys to the game because I did have a couple more in there. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be a battle of which O-line can weather this storm. The Eagles do lead the league in sacks numerically at 17, but the per-game sacks leader is the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're averaging about five per game. We're averaging 4.2 per game. So Pittsburgh has the seventh best pass pro. Eagles are 20. So I think it'll be a battle of which O-line can, O-line can truly weather this storm at the end of the day. And can Miles Sanders make something happen? Just like Shane kind of alluded to, he'd like to see Boston Scott run. I would like to see Boston Scott run and do something too. But Pittsburgh has only given up 2.33 yards per carry, which is the number one in the NFL right now. And they are the number one in stuff ranking, which means that either in the backfield or right at the line of scrimmage, they hit the running back 31% of the time. So 
It is going to be very, and they also rank top five in second allowed yards at the second level and in the open field. So this is a really good running defense, and I really don't see a whole lot coming from Miles Sanders or Boston Scott unless, like Shane alluded to, unless they get creative and they need to get creative if they want to be able to get through that that defensive line and the linebackers that are there. Um, for me, I, I agree. I don't think that we're going to see a win, but I do think that we're going to see another defensive war for a bit. But I do think that the Steelers are going to pull away in the second half because you can all, Jim Schwartz and his defense can only hold up for so long without getting points from the offensive side of the ball. I actually think it'll end up being 27-17 Steelers. This is the first time you picked against the Eagles this year. I did. I, yep, yep. I, I have I to do it. Yep. I just don't trust. I do think the Steelers are the real deal. I do think that they're better than people give them to be. And it's all to do with Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah. That offense just hums with Ben Roethlisberger. And that defense is not one to mess with. Yeah. I'm of the point where if this was a normal year, I want Eagle Steelers and have a hundred and some hundred and five thousand, whatever, however many Wouldn't that have. That'd be awesome. A hundred and five thousand fans at Happy Valley. Uh, rooting on the Eagles or the Steelers. And if they ever meet up in the Super Bowl, wherever it's supposed to be, they just need to change it to Happy Valley or something. It would be so awesome if, the, if, that, if that were to happen. Pretty sick. I think that that's what they – and before I get to my – when they add the 17th game, the 17th game needs to be a rival from the other conference. Obviously, the Steelers are ours. Dallas would have the Texans, Jets, Giants, uh, and, and, you know, Baltimore and Washington, stuff like that. I think they need to have it at a neutral site game and have it at Happy Valley. That's just me. Um, if, that, if the NFL wants to call me, I can help them out with the, the suggestion. <laughs> uh, um, uh, I'm going. I, I, you know, I co-sign with what you guys said in terms of, of the the um, the keys to the game. It's definitely going to be a key uh, to turnover battle. Whoever wins the turnover battle is going to win the game. Minka Fitzpatrick, I love them. I'm a big Alabama fan. Fan, as you guys know, he was great at Alabama. Miami underutilized them. Didn't know how to use utilize them. Pittsburgh trades for him. He could have won the defensive player of the year last year. Um, Joe Hayden is good on the outside. They, they have great players at all levels of that defense. It's going to be a challenge for the Eagles offense to sustain drives and to put points on the board. And I also think that the Steelers are going to win. Um, it's going to probably be around, I'm going to go 24-14. Um, it'll be a lower scoring game. But the, um, and I think the Eagles have to find a way to win one of the next two, and it's just going to be really tough just before that Giants game. It's going to be really, really tough, and the Eagles can have the possibility of sitting at one and four. And even at one, four, and one, they could still be in first place in the division because that's how bad the NFC least is. So we all have the Eagles falling to the Steelers. Final thoughts, fellas? Um, I'm... I mean, yeah, it's, it could be disappointing next week talking about this game, um, but I would love for them to pull it out. As always, I, I hope mm-hmm. my prediction is wrong. It's just I don't think Steelers are a team to mess with, and and the and the and the Eagles seem to be a team to mess with because we seem to struggle in certain phases, and we haven't pulled together all three phases for a full 60-minute football game yet this season, and I don't see it happening in the next two games against the Steelers or the Ravens. Yeah, we got the, the, facing a tough NFC or excuse me, AFC North this year is definitely not and a first place schedule. You know, having to face Green Bay, New Orleans, uh, San Francisco, Seattle, the Rams, um, Arizona. It's just a really, really tough schedule for the Eagles, who have the hardest schedule in the NFL remaining, if I'm not mistaken. So 
it's definitely going to be a, uh, a a tough one going forward. Shane, your final thoughts? Uh, my final thoughts are due to COVID restraints, um, people have been significantly less willing to go out and watch football games anywhere. And L, as you know, um, I, I I don't think either of us have watched an Eagles football game alone until this year in the last probably 15 years. Um, well, I've now watched two Eagles football games alone this year. And I've got to say, I am, I'm embarrassed for me. Like I need other people in the room to hold me accountable and to keep me in check. Uh, and I don't know if it's because the, the way that we were, we're losing football games and looking this year, we're tying football games. Um, it's just painful. But holy crap, man, I, I certainly keep myself in line far, far more. Like Stephanie hasn't even been home for two of these or she's been asleep uh, as was the case <laughs> last weekend. So like, I'm just down there alone. My dog puts himself in the crate multiple times. Like, it's just not a pleasant thing. So and he doesn't, like, he doesn't I, like that crate either. So no, he does not. And so the fact that he feels that that is a safer environment than being near me for Eagles football, if I'm watching alone, is not great. Um, but it has been an incredibly different football viewing experience this year. Um, so my final thought is, L, please come watch the football game with me this week. <laughs> we haven't won, though, since every time we watch, it, things go I back. Dude, I know, going back to the old house. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. This year, anyway. Like, yeah, that's true. Whatever. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Um, before we finish off, Shane, congratulations to you on your engagement, by the way. Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, someone wanted to make sure that we threw that out there. Um, let, <laughs> let our listeners know where they can, uh, follow you on Twitter. And if you have any other, you know, shows that you, you appear on, you can you know, brand yourself here. Brand myself. Yeah. Brand awesome. yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So you can find my personal account on Twitter. It's, uh, at Shane underscore Mead. Last name's just M E A D E. Uh, you can find my main baseball podcast. It's Jason, the pennant podcast. We've been a little light on activity. Um, with uh with the last few weeks here but uh it's at a n y p phillies um and then i am in the process of starting my first ever solo podcast um so i will advertise that on my uh shane underscore meet account my personal twitter account uh in the coming days hopefully um so i'm excited about that it'll be it'll be interesting it's non-sports related but um but i think it'll i think it'll be a good time all right there you go uh, where you can follow shane at and as always, you can follow us, the Kelly Green Hour, on Twitter, at Kelly Green Hour. Uh, Connor does a great job on game days, um, whether it's drive-by-drive, quarter-by-quarter, um, given his analysis, given what goes on during an Eagles game. You can follow Connor on Twitter, at Connor10, that's Connor, T-E-N, and follow me on Twitter, at LJHarrell54, that's LJHarrell54. For Connor, thank you, Shane, for coming on to our show this week. We'll definitely have you on again uh, throughout the season. Um, and for Shane, I'm LJ. Thank you for listening to the Kelly Green Hour. Fly, Eagles, fly.